one. How are we doing, everyone? Welcome back to the Barbell Nerds podcast. Uh, my name is Sean and my co-host, Will Rattel. Today, we are lucky enough to welcome Luke Lewis with, a, uh, with Penn State Rugby in his dual role. Um, but I'm going to let Luke talk a little bit about him and that dual role that he has at Penn State, my alma mater. So uh, go ahead, Luke, take it away. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Um, I know I, I've seen and listened to a lot of the, the episodes already. So to see such great coaches on here already and to be asked on, honestly, a real privilege for me as a coach to, to be asked. Um, so, yeah, I just dive into basically a little bit of who I am. So Luke Lewis, I'm from Wales, obviously from the accent, uh, not an American accent. We've had a couple. Um, we've had a couple people with accents on our podcast. We tend yeah. to skew towards that. So yeah, that well. There's been a couple of English ones, but uh, this one I think is a little bit of a, a little bit of a different one for you. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm from Wales. I was a, a rugby player back in Wales, and my my brother actually lives in America. So he he moved out a, a few years ago. So for me, I always had that that desire to move to America and see what I could achieve myself. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to win the national championships as captain with my rugby team. So I personally felt like, all right, okay, this is the best time to decide to give everything up, move to America, study my master's degree in strength and conditioning and, and dive into sports that I was never brought up uh, playing or coaching or being around. So I, went to FAU, so Florida Atlantic University. Um, and I studied there and worked under Chris McCormack, who was a phenomenal coach, learned a lot about, uh, a lot from him. Um, and obviously worked with the, the basketball, softball, various teams, like I said, I, that were very new to me and it was a huge learning experience for me. Um, and living in Florida, there, there's a huge base there of, of athletes. Uh, in particular, American top team, which is a MMA gym, and their HQ is in in Coconut Creek, where I was living. So I, I actually worked there with uh, Phil Deru, who's a strength and conditioning coach there. So I was lucky enough to to again another sport that I was that was very new to me that I was exposed to. Um, worked with a lot of MMA uh, UFC guys, and now which led me to this this job I'm in now. Uh, which is at Penn State, so um, my roots almost into rugby, uh, which is really cool. I, it almost like feels like a full circle where I've gone away from rugby and, and almost forgot about it. Really, relearned different sports and, and brought back to rugby again, but taken away my my SNC background, and now I can implement it into the sport. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so we were diving into a little bit of a chat before this, just about um, your dual role um, and how you've been implementing some of your philosophies and some of the previous stuff that you've been doing that you've learned along the way, like scrummaging. I'd love for you to kind of just chat about that or we can dive down that deep rabbit hole because I'm sure there is one. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a few that we can fall down. Um, but yeah, in terms of, in terms of rugby, um, it was great for me to, to move away from the sport and, and learn from other sports of how strength and conditioning is built and how it's, it's focused around the actual sport itself. And it was good for me to take that information and then 
like I said, come back to rugby and almost break down the sport, break down the movements, break down the demands. And then, okay, how can I as a strength coach now improve these things? Um, and, and like you said, you mentioned the scrummaging. So for anyone that's not um, familiar with the game of rugby, um, the scrum is a, a hugely important part of the game where it's used as a, a basically like to restart the game. So if a pass is, goes forward or if somebody drops the ball forward, this is now an opportunity for two teams to go one against one another to essentially force each other off the ball. Um, if you have, if anyone's listening that hasn't actually seen a scrum, I would definitely advise you to have a look. It's it's very impressive in terms of its physical demands and everything that's going on. And for me, I grew up with you know you hit you you pack up together, you hit the scrimmage machine, and as long as the sled or whatever's going forward, you're told you're doing a good job. And I think it's a, a lot of that is outcome-based because they you see the scrum sled going forward, everyone gets hyped up because they're thinking they're doing a good job. But ultimately, I don't think that the physical quantities are being coached because there's nothing pushing you back for a start. Um, and also, there's no way that you can truly individualize everyone's physical qualities and, and focus on them. So for what I wanted to do was I looked at the scrum. Obviously, it, there's, there's not a lot of movement at the beginning in that, so hugely isometric. Um, so I, what, what we would do is try and replicate. Obviously, we can't replicate that specifically in, in, in the gym, but as close as we can. So isometric holds in specific body positions more so overcoming isometrics um, in a squat position or even in split, split stance position. But then when we go into those body positions on a scrum machine, rather than, all right, let's hit this sled and really push you forward and, and just good job. I would load the sled up and we would just do individual guys. So my focus would be then, okay, this is a hugely isometric uh, movement or isometric contraction. And the main things you need to focus on are if you do want to win, I, I like to call it win the inch. So game of inches, if you if you win a couple of inches in the scrum, that's all you need to, to get the momentum to move forward. Um, so that was my main focus really with the scrum. So we're going to go isometric contraction, hit the scrum that's almost impossible to move and just focus on body position, obviously maximal force, but then their ability to not... Um, lose their body position so fighting against almost um disfiguration of your body positions um and it's been really cool to see you know I, rather than saying all right guys let's, let's pack up and scrum it, it's really cool to get individual guys in so we'll start individually and then work then like front row guys second row guys in and and they understand it a little bit more it's not okay we're going to get in, grab each other and, and just push forward. They truly understand now, this is the body position I need to make. And I need to be patient in this position and stay there and create as much force as I can. And once we win that inch, then we can go forward. So so what does all that look like in the, in the rack with the overcoming ISOs? Are they trying to push it more of like a horizontal angle or are they pushing into pins? Um, yeah, just give us a kind of a visualization of what that looks like. So, so initially, I, I do like to keep it fairly general. 
and not go in terms of like specific positions. So it would be just, uh, like you said, pushing into pins in a squat position. And then what we would do then is move away from that kind of general squat uh, vertical press. We're going to go more horizontal. So um, what we would do is put the, the safeties up and get a, the barbell put a couple of, of of plates on just to keep the bar, the weight on the bar doesn't really make much of a difference because we're we're really forcing into the rack um so imagine the the bars on the safeties and the the back of the rack you just pr- press as hard as you can but what we're going to do is get in almost like a scrum position so your head is underneath the bar arms over and almost as if your shoulders are in there get in a scrum as best as you can in a scrum position and then maximally force into the rack then for six seconds. So again, like overcoming ISOs and then relax. Uh, I think it's, it's had a really good carryover, especially it's not going to be exactly the body angles that they're going to create on the field. But in terms of in the gym, that's the closest they'll really get to feeling and having that kind of feedback from from okay, I need to dip my knees a little bit here, or my ch- I need to drive my chest down because, in terms of a scrum, uh, in terms of a squat, sorry, like a normal squat, there's you can self-regulate that, but when it's now horizontal, it's a totally different game, and I think if you rush that process without going through the isometrics in a in a horizontal plane, um, it it it's very difficult to self-regulate unless you've been in that kind of position. So it's, it's really helped. I I feel like giving the the feedback to the players before they've gone into a live scrum session. Then is that something you keep in all year round too? those overcoming ISOs, or is that more of a maybe in season thing when they're actually practicing on the field consistently? Um, I don't, I don't do a great deal of it throughout the season we do a little like drip feed it in if if there's if there's no live scrummaging or we can't really get that in it's a good time to drip feed it in um but to be honest once we're in the season the guys have a lot of you know i want to be mindful of of the uh, the stresses that i placed under so i don't really want to put them in an isometric overcome an isometric hold in the gym and then then we're scrummaging live um, if I know beforehand that we're doing a lot of live scrummaging, I'll just let the game then give them that kind of feedback yeah. rather than trying to trying to add extra. I'm glad you mentioned about like the duration of your overcomings. Uh, have you played around with different timings, like as whether it be um, training age of the athlete going a little bit uh, shorter duration or maybe a little bit longer? Because I know like a, a typical scrum could. I would assume last a little bit longer than just six seconds, especially, yeah. um, especially if everyone's obviously pushing as hard as they can. So have you messed around with like maybe a 10 second hold? I know it's a lot of uh, time under tension, but um, just well, have you messed around with that at all? Yeah. Just like you said, I started with six. I wanted to build up and I didn't really want to go past 10. Um, the scrum, like you said, it does last longer than that, but for the most part of that, that 10 seconds, it would be isometric. Anything past that, I feel like there's going to be movement in the scrum. Um, and then obviously it's not not so much reliant on an isometric. Um, so I built up the 10. Um, and the difference that I try to do is I look at the different 
um, the body um, sorry, the body sizes for argument's sake. You might have a hooker like me, who's you know, it's not going to be the tallest guy on the field. The props may be well, modern day props and are getting taller, bigger, but leaner. Um, but in terms of second row, you're looking at really tall guys, um, and it's fairly it, it's difficult for that, those guys to get in those positions and, and sustain that pressure for so long. So six seconds, but I also I'm, I'm not trying to make them create the exact same body angles. Um, in terms of, of when we go into the scrum, we're trying to obviously all drop the knee, get an X within a range of, of 90 to 120 in a scrum in terms of their knee angle. But I'm not going to tell them, okay, you need to get you need to get in 90 degrees here and, and isometrically push this. Um, so that's why I feel like it's really good self-regulator. So that's the real only difference I would do. So in terms of the taller guys, guys, I'll maybe let them have a larger knee angle, but as long as they're staying in that position then and really forcing through the floor, I'm, I'm happy with that. Do you ever do a shorter duration than six seconds? Um, no, I, I, I worked off six from the beginning. Um, I thought that was really good. Just, uh, I feel like three seconds, wasn't enough for them to really feel like they could self-regulate and and we worked on six seconds which was great and then I wanted to push the envelope a little bit 10 seconds I felt was almost the end cap for them I didn't want to push any further but yeah I, I wouldn't have gone any any shorter than six three seconds felt like they got that initial shove and then there was no there was almost no self-regulating happening um so yeah have you been doing any sort of immediate feedback uh, afterward as far as um, like neural neuro driving or neural priming afterward, like a vertical jump, uh, putting them on a force plate or anything like that uh, immediately after those overcomings to see how, um, I guess, if it's, I don't even know how I want to put this, if it's as um, neurally taxing uh, to the to their body, like probably before practice or something along those lines. Um, the closest thing that we we did was I would do that that overcoming ISO first, and then we would get on the a sled, single man sled, and it was almost like fifty percent the weight. But now it was a challenge to on your um, your technique. So the main thing was the guys would get in there, they would instantly feel like they're just going to jolt forward. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that was great. For the te from a tech technical standpoint, like I said, self-regulating is huge in the scrum. And if you're going forward, you have to chase your feet, drop your knees and get back into that, that body shape again. Because I feel like that's what I was saying before with, with scrum coaching. Um, a lot of guys will be like, hey, as long as the scrum slide's going forward, I'm happy. But, but that's, that's not anywhere near what I want to see. Um, it's an isometric, you, you win the inch, you go forward, but then you have to recreate that again because if the slack comes, if, if the pressure comes off, you're going to be in a bad body position. You know, if you don't chase your feet forward and drop your knees down, tighten the core, really yeah. force your chest down, regardless of if you won the first inch or two inches, your opposition is going to, if he self-regulates before you, regardless of if you went forward initially, you're going to go backwards again. 
Yeah, you're if pretty you much sell- screwed after that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, for argument's sake, if I, I, uh, if if I use my hands, for example, if this side wins the inch and pushes forward, but they don't squeeze down again for another shove, this team could self-regulate very quickly, and there's only one way that you're going to go is up and back. So the, the main aim for me is maximal force, isometric, squeezing everything, knees down to the floor, chest down, hold that. And once, the, once you start to win that inch, you have to chase your feet forward and squeeze it down again. So it's almost like you're trying to recreate an isometric each time to force forward. Do you find any heavy yielding isometrics um, benefit you guys at all too or no? It's some, I personally haven't used them. Uh, it was, I just fo- fully focused on those overcoming, especially when we came to like horizontal. Um, yeah, for me, I, I, I couldn't say that I personally use them, so I couldn't tell you if, if, they, if I felt they were beneficial. So I don't, I don't know like anything about rugby. Do all of the positions, like does it matter which position you are that you'll be in a scrum or do only some positions get in there? Yeah, so you have uh, numbers one to eight will be in the scrum. So they're the, they're the forwards. Um, you have a front row, which is made up of loose head prop, tight head prop, and the hooker who's in the middle. And then you have, so these are the, the they're called the, the, the front row. So they're the first guys in, on the impact. So this opposition's team and, and this team, front row, they, they'll bind together, lock together, and force you. So they, are they typically like the bigger guys on the team? Yeah, so they'll be big guys, bulkier guys, not not your tallest players, um, but just very compact, very strong. And then you'll get your tall guys, very tall guys, second rows. So they'll slot in behind and they push from behind. Then you have uh, flankers, which is six and seven. They just bind on the side here and push. And then you have a number eight in the back. And they, they push it from the back. So ultimately, it's eight guys working together in unison, trying to create very similar body shapes and then forcing each other down, compacting each other together to go forward. So when you're writing your training programs, you don't really care what position they are. They're all going to do the overcoming isometrics then, right? Yeah. That- I, I Yeah. I, to be honest, the, the front row and the second row, that's a major thing for them. I feel like that's that's the that's the main thing for them is the the isometrics. We do try it as well with a back row. They're called six, seven, and eight. But for me, they as much as they need that, their their time can be better spent elsewhere. So the six and seven, they do they do work hard in the scrum. But a lot of what they do is they have their eyes up, scanning to defend. So they're kind of without. Um, upsetting any flankers or number eights that are maybe listening. They do push. I will say they push, but they don't push as hard as the front row and the second rows because what they have to do is they have to be mindful of where the attack is going to go next and where they need to get to to the breakdown. So we do try a little bit of that. But ultimately, I like to put their time somewhere else rather than focusing as, as much isometrics as the front five. I like that a lot. It kind of helps me paint a bit better picture of just when I watch rugby on TV. I know <laughs> ah, that kind of that position now makes more sense to me. Yeah. Um, 
I kind of want to talk a little bit about your dual role as assistant coach and strength and conditioning coach, because I think that's really unique. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like this is a, that's a role that strength coaches can evolve into over the course of football, like basketball. Um, I know Todd Wright, who used to be with the 76ers out here in Philly, um, he, his role with the 76ers was assistant coach, like performance coach as well, but his head, his main title was assistant coach. How has that role impacted you both on the sidelines of the field, coaching your athletes and in the weight room, coaching your athletes? What's that uh, duality like? I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I think in many respects, it, it, it's something I see a development in terms of strength coaches of where we should be pushing towards almost um, rather than totally being in your different silos, as people say, and being in your, in, in your own room there. But I, I, I do feel like strength coaching is definitely moving in that direction where you do have a far more input in terms of the, the sports aspect, but also which is your main role, which is the strength conditioning aspect. Uh, for me, it, it's been great because I coached rugby in the past. Um, a lot of what my coaching experience was, excuse me, before I moved to America was coaching rugby um, and now having the strength and conditioning background. It's definitely helped me look at things far more differently. Um, the main thing was just general uh, rugby drills. Uh, I think that from a, a coach's standpoint and specifically like a sports coach standpoint, what they, what they deem as taxing is far different to what a player deems as taxing. Um, and I'll even use myself as an, as an example from, as a young coach, I was like 17, 18, up, you know, up until recently. Um, you, you run a drill and again, it's outcome based because you want to see, okay, can everybody do this pass? Can everybody get into this, this position, line this guy up, uh, draw the man in and, and pass at pace? I, like for an example and and what the coaches will do they'll just run the drill until everybody can do it but what they're not thinking about is the time that that the guys are running around for how much one person's actually being exposed to how, how much running are they doing how, how much high speed running is going on um and i think i see that way differently now um and it's great because the, the other coach uh justin hundley we, we have a good we have a great relationship and we talk about planning the, the sessions beforehand. Um, and it, it, it's definitely helped the way we, we form or organize our, our training weeks. And there was something I, uh, Andy Royland had, had mentioned on the podcast. And it, when he said, I totally agreed because strength and conditioning coaches look at everything as, as progression. So you're going to start something very low level and progress it up to from from very general and simple to complex and i think we as a with my sports coach hat on we don't do that we we believe that the players are generally all at the same level and think okay we're just going to run this drill and 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 expect all the players to, to kind of just get that and be at the same level without actually like progressing the drill. So for argument's sake, if we're doing a handling drill or a defensive drill, in the defense, we should be really breaking it down small sided games so that 
you can really break down the technique, but you get a lot of exposure to actually doing the tackle. So rather than you're just watching 10 other guys run through, you, you're in your small group, you get to do that. You get a lot of exposure to the actual drill, the actual um, forces and the, and the tackling aspect of, of itself. And then you can progress that to a more chaotic environment where you have to read plays. You have to actually see somebody push on and, and communicate. That, that, the entire thing of the communication aspect and reading the game psychologically to- totally changes everything in terms of like the skill level of it. And I think that's something that we really need to take into consideration in terms of sports coaching, not saying like, okay, we're doing handling, we're going to play off, play off nine, play off 10 here and just expect us to run drills, you know, con- constantly. It's okay. How can we break this down? What's the progression to this? What's the progression to this? And really break down individuals and say, okay, he's not quite here. So let's not really get on his case when he can't get to this situation because he hasn't actually ticked the prerequisites in this kind of environment yet. So I understand you played some professional rugby too, right? Yeah, it was a professional, semi-professional. Is there anything you take from that experience playing professionally that you implement now with your job as a coach too? Or is there any, is there anything I should say that, you have that you implement now as a coach that you wish you would have implemented in your own practice and training when you were still playing well when as, as like an individual yeah like now that you've like gained more knowledge about how things work how the game is played you just wish you would have done things differently back then maybe yeah i think there's just organizing my my week a little bit better i think looking at it more as like holistic approach rather than, okay, more is better, or understanding the demands a little bit better and how to, how to elicit those uh, responses in terms of training. Um, yeah, I think, trying to think of, of examples, to be honest. Um, there's a few things, and I thought that we, what, I, what we do now is outline and organize the week a lot better rather than um, training certain aspects and then like for it, for argument's sake if, if, if we're planning the in-season uh, in-season week now I know exactly what we're tra- what we're training on certain days and what kind of um, what kind of adaptations we're looking for and, and, and to be honest how much recovery is needed from from each type of day um, like I said, more is, I felt like more is better before. And I didn't think of in terms of uh, Charlie Francis model, like the high-low model, and really focusing, okay, stre- big stress a day here. And now we really have to focus on our recovery here, but not thinking, okay, it's just like an off day. There's things that we can still work on now, but, but it, this is very low level. And it's going to ramp up to another high day. I think before, they, you know, didn't really think like that, whereas right, these are my high days, and this is what it's going to, these are the adaptations I'm going to get. Like that, because going off again, that dual role that you have, I I know I tried to be as many like basketball or soccer practices that I could, but I knew I ultimately wasn't making, or at least helping with the practice program for that particular day. 
Whereas you have a, a solid say and input as far as like the stimulus of the day in practice, which again, that's, that's the most important thing. Yes, their training is supplemental to their practice and it is important, but at the end of the day, they got to be able to play their sport yeah. before, they, before they can lift the barbell. <laughs> yeah, power, exactly. cleans, power cleans don't mean that much if you can't uh, push someone in a scrum, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's the main thing. And I think it was a big um, eye-opener, really, when I listened to coaches out, out here without, being, without saying anything disrespectful to um, American football coaches a lot of what I hear or past um, things that they've said it to me I've always believed that the sport is king like as a strength coach we're just supplemental and if we can give them some kind of adaptation that's going to help them on the field then that that's that's all that's all we can do you know it, it what we do in the weight room it's not something that we can hang our hat on for, for the for the win. Like if they win the game, I don't I don't want to see a strength coach jumping up and down saying like, yes, it was <laughs> it was it was all my work in the gym. And because I'm like, mate, like you need to sit down because like we could be the strongest team in the league. We could be the strongest team in, in the country. It doesn't mean anything really unless we win games. Um so that was like a big thing for me was you know, okay, like people really take this this seriously, like these numbers. But I, I'm not, I'm not chasing numbers. I wanna, I wanna give them what they need to get better at playing rugby. And I think the dual the dual role, the dual role does give me that freedom because I can see that. I'd be like, okay, we need to peel this back a little bit because we're not chasing big numbers in the gym. We just want to do well on the field. Um, so yeah, I think that pretty much answered the the previous question about what what you could what I did differently now to the past was was that um you know it's all about performance and there's many different aspects that go into the performance and we could and, and at the end of the day we could we could tick or check all the boxes and we could still lose we could still lose yeah. um so yeah that's that's one of my biggest qualms with uh, and I kind of realized this later um like it doesn't really matter how much you squat you can even have a team that just completely lacks injury you could go the athletic trainer could be over there bored as hell and don't wrong, i'm happy if they're bored the less work <laughs> that they do the better but like if you don't win games you're still going to get fired in yeah. college football yeah. so <laughs> yeah, exactly i think and, and that was uh, when you had uh when you had jake tutor on and he he was talking about that um, you know, like, wh- how do you define what's what what the the strength coach is doing? Like, yes, mm-hmm. you can. The easy things are the low hanging fruit. Are well, you know, I got the guys to squat this much. They deadlifted this much. Your speed went up this much, and that's great. But like you said, they could, you could do all that, and you, you couldn't win the game, and that that's that. <clears throat> yeah, my <laughs> biggest <laughs> kind of to go off here. My biggest pet peeve in like the strength and strength and conditioning community is when they attribute success when the strength and conditioning coaches attribute success to their programming. It's like, uh-huh. no, dude, get over yourself. Like, <laughs> you're such a small piece of what goes into the thousands of variables that go into 
winning sports games. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I could, this isn't the time or place, but I could go off for an hour about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that we'll for round to, two. How about that? Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to do a part two. <laughs> Sounds good. But I totally uh, agree, I, though, because in terms of if, if I was just a scrum <clears throat> coach, and for argument's sake, we had a we had an average scrum in the game and we won. It's like me posting on my social media about like my scrums. This is why we won. You know, it's just a piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Well, we just got about five minutes or so left. I got all my questions I have for you out of the way. Uh, Will, do you have anything else for Luke? Yeah, dude, I'm good. Awesome. Um, Luke, first, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. I know you got some planning to do. Uh, for practice tomorrow, I know you probably got to go somewhere and go lift or something. Um, anything I'm missing? No, I don't think so. Um, we do like to end our podcast on one last question for our guest. Will, go ahead. Yeah, Luke, appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come have a talk with us. If there's anyone else that you would recommend that we reach out to, um, who would that be? I could I could list a lot of people. Um, and to be honest, a lot of a lot of people I would suggest have already been. So um, let me think. I, I, I tell you a great guy, he's he's a really, really nice guy, great coach, and what he's doing in, in Florida. I spent a little bit of time with him in Florida in uh, North Broad Prep is John Garish. John he's Garish. a great yeah. yeah, he's a great coach. I, yeah. I, I would I would definitely get him on. He's 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 been a very influential coach to to a lot of young athletes down in Florida, and I think what he's doing there is is tremendous. He's working at FAU now, right? Because he was at the high school uh, the high school setting for a while. I be- I, I think so. I think he's he's still in North Broward, but I, I he okay. was doing some speed work with the football team there in That's FAU. Right. That's what I thought I saw him at, at some point there. Um, I haven't. Yeah, that was in a long time. So this will be, that'll, that'll be a really good opportunity for me to reach out. So yeah, thank you. he's a great guy. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Um, again, thank you, Luke. Appreciate the time, brother. Of course. Thank you. I think I'm-